Let's open our Bibles tonight to Luke chapter number 2. Luke chapter number 2. Now we preach from this chapter this morning. But we didn't preach all of it. There's still a little of it left. So we'll preach that tonight. Amen. Luke chapter number 2. And uh, we preached this morning about that inn and uh, how that God came to the inn and found that the accommodations were already occupied. I trust that in your life and mine, we've got room for the Lord. Amen. If we don't, we ought to fix that this evening. Somebody say amen to that. We ought to make sure if, if nobody has a place, God ought to have a place. Amen. But in Luke chapter number 2, I'd like to pick up really in the reading, though we're preaching on a different thought, I'd like to pick up in the reading from where we left off this morning, down in verse number 8. I want us to turn our attention very briefly tonight to this band of shepherds abiding in the field. The Word of God says in Luke chapter number 2, verse number 8, that there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you great good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. They came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. All they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for this another opportunity, another occasion at which your faithfulness has carried us into this place of worship. We just pray that you'd help us tonight. Have our hearts open to the truth of thy word. I pray, Lord, so often on the very crest and eve of uh, holidays and festivities, it's so tempting to treat these last few moments of, of hallowed gathering in your house as something that we're rushing through, that we're moving through, that we're discarding. But Lord, help us instead to treat these next few moments with the high and holy honor and reverence that they are deserving, Lord, and with the great potential that we know it contains. For Lord, these next few moments, you're going to speak to our hearts. We'll hear from heaven. Lord, there'll be eternal matters settled in our hearts and minds. And I pray, Lord, that we would have our minds attentive uh, to what you seek to do in these next few moments. Bless the preaching of thy word. Lord, we do ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I want to take just a couple moments tonight. And I want us to examine the testimony and ministry of this band of shepherds that carried forth the message of the Annunciation of the birth of the Son of God. Really, if I can, if I'm being honest tonight, I really want to just kind of make a few statements in in opening uh, that may even be only loosely connected to our greater message tonight. But I think any time we examine these folks, uh, we ought to take the time to make notice of it. 
Uh, most of the time, we only preach on Christmas once a year, so when we do, we got to preach all of it. Somebody say amen to that. You don't leave any on the plate, amen? It's like if you only eat turkey once a year, so when you do, you're going to eat an obscene amount of it, amen? So, uh, But I do want us to notice, just by way of introduction, and let me use this to give you a little bit of encouragement tonight. When I read this passage of Scripture, there are two singular thoughts that strike me. One relates to the effectiveness of these messengers. Uh, we learn from reading down later in the passage that all the people wondered at what was told them. Evidently, God knew what He was doing when He enlisted this group of men to share this message. They did it effectively. They did it meaningfully. They did it efficiently. Evidently, they was the kind of folks you want sharing a message and letting folks know about it. And here in a few moments, we'll examine why that is. Before we get there, I think it's worth asking this question tonight. In what circumstances was it that God showed up to him? God could have undoubtedly found a group of men of higher station that would have done equally as good a job. But instead, he appears to these shepherds out in the field. And sort of a reminder to me, you know, you imagine what that night must have been like as these shepherds are, are doing what they do every single night of the year. They're sitting out there in the pitch darkness listening to the sheep bleat and performing their duty. Then all of a sudden, imagine it with your mind's eyes, the glories burst forth from heaven and this great, amazing celestial scene unfurls before them and they're hearing the songs that angels sing that no man uh, on this side of glory had heard before. What an amazing thing that must have been. I'd say this, if they weren't paying attention before, they're sure enough paying attention after. And I thought to myself, what an unusual place for God to appear. You know, but in some ways it's not. Because when I look at these these shepherds, I'm reminded of three things. This isn't a message, it's just encouragement. But I want you to listen to it. One, the angels appeared to them in a place of duty. They were just doing what they were called to do. Can I tell you that the great things that God achieves through men. He doesn't achieve through them necessarily striving for greatness. In fact, when we read through the Word of God, it would appear that this notion of striving for greatness is uh, pretty much the antithesis, pretty much the opposite of the attitude that the Christian ought to have. Uh, We're not exalting ourselves. We're exalting Jesus. We're abasing ourselves. We're not trying to, hey, listen, the Bible says that uh, Jesus made Himself of no reputation uh, this whole thing of striving for great. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't strive to do our best in whatever we're doing. But this idea of saying, boy, I'm going to get to a place of prominence or I'm going to get to a place of, of status and station or whatever it might be, you don't find that in the Word of God. What you find is people in humility and meekness serving the Lord. But through that faithfulness, God does great things. It was in a place of duty. It was in a place where they they was just doing what they always did and doing it faithfully, I would say this, to be a night shepherd over a group of sheep, you had to be faithful. Because chances are that if you laid down on the job, if you slept on the job, it might be nobody would have known anything about it. It might be nobody would have noticed. If they had just lost one or two sheep, it might have been that it could have been chalked up to just mere misfortune. But here they are laboring away in faithfulness, and it's there that God appeared. We want God to do great things in our life. We've got to be faithful. Faithful. God doesn't bless faithlessness. Now, I'm not preaching any of this fuss at you. I'm just saying that it's in that place of duty, serving God in the menial things that God does great things. So it was in the place of duty. Number two, I would say, not 
It was in a place of dullness. I don't know about you, but I can't imagine anything more boring than sitting out in the middle of a field in the pitch dark listening to sheep bleat. I've started doing a little bit of hog hunting when I can get get away and, and get away with it. And, uh, and, and one of the reasons I'm willing to do the hog hunting versus a lot of other hunting is we don't stand hunt, we stall. We, we go out and we look for the pigs. Now that's not any more productive, but it keeps me from getting bored and falling asleep. Amen. If I sit in a tree stand, I'm gonna, I ain't gonna be hunting, I'm gonna be sleeping. Somebody say amen to that. It will not be long. But going out and doing the hog hunting, you know, you're walking and you're traveling. Could you imagine how boring it was? I mean, when you're hunting, you're always hoping that you're getting ready to find something. Something's going to walk up on you. But when you're a shepherd, you're hoping nothing does walk up. You don't want that to happen. And literally, night after night would have been met with just sitting there in the dark, looking around at nothing. What a dull job that must have been. And it was dull until it wasn't dull. It was dull until the heavens unfurled like a scroll. And the glory of God shone forth. Can I tell you something? Human beings loathe dullness. It's our nature. We want things to be exciting. Uh, we want things to be uh, thrilling. And very often, listen, I've been guilty of this in my life, of disregarding the great things God is doing because I didn't find them exciting enough. And most of the time it was because of carnality on my part. It sure enough wasn't because God wasn't doing great things. It was just because I wanted God to do it in a different way. You better stay faithful, even in the dull seasons of life. You know why? Because you never know when God's fixing to step out from the glory and move mightily in your life. It was in a place of dullness. But then let me say this. I think we probably all need to hear this right now. It was in a place of darkness. It was in a place of darkness. The Bible says it was by night. But Ken, isn't that what it says? By night that this happened. It was in the darkest of times when the glory of God's Annunciation shown forth. Man, I'm glad to know that oftentimes it's in the, we've lost sight of this. We've gotten so used to things being good and things being comfortable. I'm talking about in our existence. I'm not saying you don't have burdens, but I'm saying we've got so used to enjoying freedom and stability and all these things, and I praise the Lord for them, that we forgot, listen, the Bible was built for trying time. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. Things is going good, you can walk by sight. But in the darkness, you gotta walk by faith, because you can't walk by sight. And I'm just glad to be encouraged tonight that in the darkest of times in our life, that's when God shows up. That's when God shows up. So I'm fascinated by how the angels appeared to them. But then, uh, to the, to the more, uh, to the main part of what I wanna talk about tonight, I wanna ask this question to you. Why were they such effective messengers? For the message that was given. As we said, God could have chosen people of great, greater prominence and greater public uh, status and station. He could have chosen men that uh, just by nature of who they were, men would have stopped and paid attention and listened. But instead, He chooses people of insignificant place and station in life. And He uses them. But what's more amazing is it works. They go and they proclaim this message, Brother Charlie, and the world listens to what they have to say. Why were they such effective witnesses? Before I give you my points tonight, can I say this? Some of us are getting ready to see folks that we want to be a witness to. We're going to see family that we don't see any other time of the year. We're going to see friends that we don't see any other time 
of the year. Some of us are going to be gathered even around neighbors and associates we don't see any other time of the year. And I hope and trust that your heart's burdened to reach them with the Gospel. I hope that you're seeing this as a heaven-sent opportunity to share the truth of Jesus Christ with them. And I think if we'll do what they did, we can be just as effective. So let's notice four things tonight, and then we'll be done. We'll, we'll go uh, eat something bad for us or something. I don't know what we got over there. Yeah, Tracy nodded. Yeah, so I don't know what it is, but it's bad for us. Um, so let's notice, why, why do you think they were effective? Well, I would say this, number one. They were effective because theirs was the voice of experience. Look what it says in verse number 17. The Bible says, And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. It's amazing to me, the Bible makes it clear to us that they believed the message that the angels had given before they ever seen the Christ child. But they went first, before they ever told anybody else, they went first to the manger and beheld the child I think to lend to their message the conviction of experience before they went and shared with others. Can I tell you that nobody's ever going to listen to you. No one's ever going to believe you if you don't believe what you're saying. Uh, There's a reason that in the world around us today that the most radical elements draw the largest crowds. You know why? Because they live and preach and teach with the conviction of experience. What they are saying may not be true, but they believe that it's true and that resonates with men. Why was it that they went and did this? They wanted to be able to speak by personal experience that they had looked on the face of this child, they had beheld what God had said, and that this was not hearsay, uh, this was not rumor, this was not gossip, this was what they had seen themselves. I would say this, we could notice that they shared what they had learned personally. The truth that they had been given directly by the angels. It wasn't something passed from this person to this person to this person. I know you've probably heard of this before, but you've you've probably seen or even been a part of folks playing the game that they call telephone. You ever heard of that before? Uh, What it is is where you'd start at one place. And if if Ken and Robin were on speaking terms, we'd start with them. But but we'd have... But what we'd do is we'd have Robin... Uh, say something, whisper something into Ken's ear, and then Ken would whisper it to someone, and then they'd whisper it, and then it'd make its way all across the church. And what you'll find invariably uh, when that happens is by the time it gets from one end of the church to the other, what is being said over here won't be anything like what was said over there. Every time, it's almost like making a copy on a photocopier. Every, every copy becomes distorted. Every copy moves just a little bit further away from the truth of the matter. And you know part of our problem as being a witness is that we have for too long uh, curried and, and, and trafficked in second-hand truth. We have allowed our knowledge of the Word of God to be something that has been spoon-fed to us instead of something that we've dug out ourselves. Now don't misunderstand me. I'm, I'm your preacher. I'm your pastor. I'm tasked with teaching you the Word of God and I want to have your ear. I want you to listen to what I teach you. But understand this, I'm not the dispensary of truth. This this Bible that you've got, this King James Bible, is just as true. Uh, The one sitting on your coffee table is just as true as the one sitting on this pulpit. The same Holy Ghost that instructs me will instruct you. And if we want to be an effective witness, we need to know the truth of God's Word. We need to learn it personally. I'm not opposed at all to soul winning and evangelistic tools and methods that we might use, but uh, there's something to be said for just knowing the Bible and being able to share the Bible with people. 
so in other words, it ought to be something we ought to be studying it ourselves. We ought to be reading it ourselves. We ought to be able to speak it with the courage of our convictions because we know for a fact what the Word of God says. So they communicated what they had learned personally. But then number two, they communicated what they had lived personally. Uh, the Bible says that they communicated that which the angels had told them, but it also said that they went after they had seen it. They went and saw the babe before they proclaimed the message, not because they lacked faith, but to impart to their faith the boldness of experience. They wanted to be able to say, I have seen this child. I'm not telling you something that I hope to be true. I'm telling you something that I know to be true because I've seen this child. Now, let me say to you, everybody, and I trust that we're in a room full of born-again people. I, I don't know anybody's heart. Only God knows it wouldn't be a surprise in a room this size for somebody to be here lost without Christ. But I, I take for, for granted that by your testimony, we all know the Lord as our Savior. And certainly, we can't be an effective witness if we've never been born again, if we've never been saved. But let me say that oft times, and you'll probably experience this, and I normally do in the Christmas season, oft times we find ourselves not sharing the truth of God's Word with a lost person, but rather with a saved person, that is either struggling or is wayward. They're out of the will of God. They're not in church. They're not living for the Lord. Or they are all those things, but they are struggling in serving God. And oftentimes we try to share the truth, the Word of God with them. The only problem is if we've not been dwelling richly in the Word of God and it dwelling richly in us, we're going to find it hard to be able to find the apt truths to share with them and communicate to them about what they're going through. In other words, you need to understand that this is God's sword. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's what the Bible says, right? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He wields it, right? But He did an amazing thing when He gave His Word. There's a parallel to this. You understand that it is His Word when He gave it, but He gave it through the pen of men whose hearts He had moved upon and breathed inspiration into their hearts and into their minds. You know He does the same thing even in the wielding of that sword. It's His sword, but He puts it in our hand. and He don't wield it. He wields us. He wields us. Now, how can He do that if we don't have His sword in our hand or more appropriately in our heart? If we've not been studying it, if we've not been reading it, if we've not been dwelling in it. And so if we want to be effective, and just by the way, this is just a real simple statement I'm about to make, but I think it's important. Nobody listens to a hypocrite. Nobody listens to a hypocrite. And so if people look at our lives and we're trying to share the truth of the Word of God with them, but they see glaring hypocrisy, and there ain't none of us lives up to a standard of, of perfection. There ain't none of us that really lives up to a standard of pure integrity regarding the Word of God. We've all sinned. We all fail. But I'm saying when our life is in an utter mess and we take it upon ourselves to be the one that wants to instruct somebody else, we shouldn't be surprised when they look at it and say, you want me to live this, but you won't live this. Say, preacher, why did they go and see the child? Because... They knew what the first question would be. Have you seen him? They knew. That's the first question a person asked. The Christ child has been born. The Son of God is here. The Messiah of God has come. And the first question they'd ask is, how do you know? Have you seen him? It's not that they didn't believe it. They just needed to have the right answer to the question. Can I tell you, and I learned this early on in pastoring, when I, as a young man, was tasked with pastoring people through situations I'd never lived through, and some of it, thank God, still haven't lived through today and haven't had to experience. And I, I had to learn this, that very often what people want to understand and want to know is that your lived experience matches up. Can I tell you, the Word of God is true whether it is our experience or not. 
But you understand that the first thing people are going to ask when you go to share the truth of God's Word with them is, are you living this? Are you living this? It's often been said that our family is the hardest people to witness to because they know us the best. And there's probably some truth to that. They've seen our failures. They see our weak points. They see our mistakes. And we shouldn't allow any of that to bully us into, si- into silence. We ought to just say, well, you know, I'm human and I'm, I'm flawed and I fail and that's why I need the grace of God just like you need the grace of God. But just to understand, if we're making no attempt to live the truth of the Word of God, we shouldn't be surprised when they will make no effort to listen to the truth of the Word of God. So I would say they were, they were affected because theirs was the voice of experience. Let me say number two, I think their, their testimony, their message, their voice was affected because theirs was the voice of explanation. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, the Bible says in verse 17, when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Their message, though they had seen the Christ with their own eyes, was not centered on their own experience, but rather on the message the angels had imparted to them. So here's something that's interesting. They understand the first thing that those people are going to ask is, have you seen him? And they need to be able to say, yes, I have. But they also understand that the thing that will be impactful in their lives will not be their own eyewitness testimony of what they've seen, but rather the heavenly message that's been given by the angels. So the focus was not on their personal experience. It wasn't them saying, hey, listen to how great this thing is that I did or that I've experienced or that I've been through. They know people are going to wonder if they've seen it, but that's not where their emphasis is. Their emphasis, rather, is upon what God has said. I thought of it this way. What they do is they show up and they said, let me tell you what has been told to us and let me tell you what it all means. Now think about the message they had been given. You could go back through it. Back in verse number 11, this was part of the angel's message. It says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now what are they explaining to the people they come upon? Number one, I think they're explaining who He is. Who He is. This child in Bethlehem is not just some teacher. It is not just some good man. It is not just some prophet. This is the very anointed of God. This is God in the flesh. This is Christ the Lord. You know, the greatest thing we can tell men is who He is. Who He is. What His name is. We were talking this morning and, and I've, I've got, I keep having to, I, I'm, my mind's fixated on this thought. I have to keep dragging myself away from it because it's not what I'm preaching on, but we was talking in Sunday school about Paul's message on Mars Hill. And, and Paul's message on Mars Hill, basically we could summarize it this way. He walks down that long row of false gods and idols that they had there in Athens for all the Greek gods. And really even more probably than Greek gods. They probably had gods of all varying nations and nationalities there. And he comes to one particular idol and all it says there is to the unknown God. And Paul's message is simple. It is this. It is this God that I've come to preach to you. The one that you don't know. Because if you did know Him, you wouldn't know any of the rest of these. The greatest thing, and He begins to tell them who He is, who He is, who He is. This is who this man is, what He's done for us. So what should be the focus of our message this Christmas season, particularly to our loved ones, uh, in as much as God gives us an open door? Well, the first thing should be to tell them who He is. He's the Son of God. He's the Savior of men. He's the Messiah. He's the hope. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. 
He is what this season is all about, but even beyond that, He's what every season is about. He's the most important man that you could ever know. So they, they declared who He is. But then number two, think about this. The angels say this in verse 10. The angels said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. Now what are these tidings? Well, part of it is that Christ is born. But what then is the message of that truth? What is that to do in the hearts of men? Well, look down in verse 13. He says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, this is what they said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Goodwill towards men. How easy it is to skip over that, for that to merely become part of a, a of a beautiful greeting card or part of a piece of decoration. And, and I'm not opposed to it being a part of those things, but it's so much more than merely that. Think about what they say, good tidings. You know what that means? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's what the gospel means. It means good tidings. Now, I'm not suggesting that the shepherds understood the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ sitting in that field. But we, as we look backwards on this record and on this testimony, we understand what's being spoken of there. What are these good Tidings, the good tidings there, the good tidings throughout the rest of the Word of God. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Good tidings of great joy. And I love this. It says, which shall be to all people. All people. He's the Savior of all men, especially of them that believe. You know what that means? It means categorically of all men. Quantitatively of those that believe. But categorically of all men. You know, in fact, that's the reason the Bible says that if He is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe, if you're going to get saved, He's going to save you. He's the only Savior there is. He's the only Savior. Categorically, all men can come unto Him and He'll save them. Quantitatively, in other words, how many folks is going to get saved? It's not everybody. It's especially to them that believe. He is effectively the Savior to those that put their faith in Him. But He's the Savior of all men. He died for all of our sins. Not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. He tasted death for every man. What was the message they were communicating? The first was who He is, but then the second was this, why He came. Why He came. The Gospel. He had come, not that He might thwart men. He had come not to condemn man, for man was condemned already, but that men through Him might live and might know God. And this is what they said in verse 14. Here's, here's the summation of His life. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. What was the purpose of Christ's incarnation? Was to bring glory to God in the highest and to bring peace on earth. There'll come a day when the Prince of Peace will reign and peace will reign through the earth. But even right now, there's peace on earth. Say, preacher, it don't look very peaceful. Well, no, if you look out at the world, I didn't say there's peace over the earth or peace throughout the earth, but there sure is peace on earth. You know how? There's peace in my heart tonight where Jesus reigns. There's peace in your heart tonight as a child of God. There was no peace in men's hearts before the Holy Ghost took up residence and gave peace to them. Peace on earth. And listen, goodwill towards men. God has a desire. He's not got a heart of, of hate. He's got a heart of love towards humanity. God's a love the world. So what, what was their message? They were explaining this, Brother Kim. They explained who He was. And then they explained why He came. What that meant. And then I love this. Look at verse 12. It says, And this shall be a sign unto you. He shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So what was their message? It was who He is. It was why He came. But then it was this. It was where He could be found. Where He could be found. 
I, I don't know if anyone else visited the manger scene that night. Logic would suggest that they probably did. We don't read that they were forbidden from doing that. The shepherds go and behold the child. And, and, and I mean, it seems to me from the plain text of Scripture that them going and telling people, the whole purpose of it was to say, come see where He is. Come and look on the Christ child yourself. And so part of the fundamental truth that they communicated is, hey, this is where He's at. You can get to Him. You can find Him. You can look upon Him yourself. You don't have to just take my word for it. You can go and see Him with your own eyes. What's the message we're striving to communicate to all men, especially during this season, but at all times and in all walks of life, it ought to be this, who He is. He's the Son of God, the Savior of men. Why He came? He came according to the truth of the Gospel to give Himself a ransom uh, to, to be testified of of many, a ransom for all, to die for our sins and then where He can be found. And I love the fact that, listen, He was placed in the very place where even the animals could get to Him. That ought to scoop all of us in. Somebody say amen to that. Some of y'all may be encouraged if it said that they laid him in the beautician chair, or some of y'all may be encouraged if it said they laid him in the safety deposit box, but when you look like I do, it's great comfort to know that they put him where the animals could get to. In other words, he could be found, he could be reached by mankind. So theirs was the voice of explanation. That's why it was meaningful. But then I would say this, look at verse 18. The Bible says, and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. I would say their voice was effective because it was the voice of examination. In other words, this message had teeth. It wasn't just an abstract fact of, of academic knowledge. It wasn't just a, this happened, here you go, do whatever with it. This was a deeply meaningful and relevant message that was given. What did it mean for them if the Messiah was there? You understand this is being shared in the land of Israel, the land where the hope of the Messiah was the very heartbeat of their national cultural life. And for the Messiah to come would mean everything was changed. By the same token, listen, the gospel that you and I share with a lost world, it's the most relevant message that mankind has ever known. It literally speaks to every brokenness of man's condition. It's the remedy for every single desire and impulse that man has. It is that which gives peace and satisfaction. How is it effective? You know, so often we allow the, the message of the gospel to be muddied and confused and, and, and concealed through so many other things. And I understand, listen carefully, there's more in this Bible than just the gospel. There's the whole counsel of God. We ought to preach the whole counsel of God. Christians need to have opinions on, on things that uh, we are called to be a witness on, and that's true not just for the gospel. So I'm not trying, I'm not trying to relegate the Christian's public life to nothing but just being a witness of the gospel. But let me remind you of this. The greatest calling in our life indeed is to be a witness of the gospel. So it's not to suggest that we should not have a position and a stand on all these varying matters of life that are floating around and sometimes seem like they're flying at us like a curveball. But it does mean we should never let anything displace the preeminent truth of the gospel. Above all, listen, what are we here for? We're here to share with men that Christ the Messiah, the Savior, is born, Emmanuel, that God is with us, that He's walked amongst men. I would say it this way, and I'm not really going to preach it, but I noticed two things here. One, their message caused the multitudes to wonder. Verse 18, all they that heard it, they wondered at those things. The people wondered at the blessedness and beauty of the message 
that they shared. And then I'd say this, number two, it caused not only the multitudes to wonder, but it caused Mary to ponder. It caused her to hide these things away in her heart. You know why? Because she understood what, to some degree, understood what it meant. She understood, to some degree, who this child was and what it would mean. And I'm not sure she understood all of the impact of it, but it seems pretty clear from the text of God's Word that from the, the message the angels had given to her even prior to her having uh, Christ, that she understood this was the Christ child. This was who this was. And so what a meaningful message that was on that night. It spoke directly to her life and what was going on in it. And I just merely draw a line from that to the gospel and say, when we share the gospel, we're sharing the most meaningful message that mankind has ever encountered. Then I would say this tonight. I'll mention it and be done. I would say that their voice was effective because it was the voice of experience. They weren't trafficking in second-hand unfelt truth, but that which they had seen, that which they had learned and lived personally. Number two, it was the voice of explanation. It wasn't just wild religious frenzy and fanaticism. They were explaining the message that had been given to them and what that message meant to others. And then it was the voice of examination. They were calling these people to look at themselves and to ask themselves what this meant for their life and how they were to respond in an appropriate way to it. But then look at verse number 20 with me, and we'll just read this and say a couple things be done. The Bible says the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. I'd say their voice was effective because theirs was the voice of excitement. Excitement. Nobody likes boring people. Can I get a witness there? Can we all agree we don't like boring people? If you don't agree with that, you might be boring. I don't know. But what, what I mean to say by that is this, that it's hard to believe a man that seems unenthused about the things that he's sharing. It's hard to believe somebody that wants you to be excited about something they ain't excited about. That's why I quit talking about Tennessee football. Amen. Well, man, if I can't be excited about it, I ain't going to expect anybody else to be excited about it. And uh, But the reason they were effective is because they were passionate. They were excited. How did that excitement manifest itself? Well, I would say two things. One, I noticed they rejoiced with excitement. The Bible says they were glorifying and praising God. They were not quiet. They were not, they, they were not reserved in their declaration of this truth, but they were boldly praising God for all that this meant and all this would do in their lives. I would say if we want to be an effective witness of the gospel, and by the way, the answer to this is not to manufacture excitement and enthusiasm. The excitement and the enthusiasm comes from spending time with the Lord. We spend time with Him. We spend time pondering on Him, meditating on Him communing and fellowshipping with Him, studying His Word, letting Him work in our hearts, and He'll give us the enthusiasm that we need. But how are we ever going to be an effective witness if we don't enjoy the reality and truth of the Gospel as it's been given to us? Uh, listen, there's there's a lot, of, a lot of reasons that churches are in the shape they're in today, but there are churches out there that a lot of the reason that they struggle is because ain't nobody excited to be there. The preacher ain't excited to be there. The people ain't excited to be there. Ain't nobody excited to be there. Uh, and a lot of it is because they've lost their zeal. They've lost their enthusiasm. They've lost their excitement for the truth of, of what Christ has done for them. There's some places where you'd walk into, you wouldn't know if you'd walked into a funeral home or to a church house. 
it'd feel like the same environment. How are we going to reach lost people? How are we going to reach folks? How, how are you going to reach your family and I reach my family if we're not even moved by the truth that we want them to believe? So I would say this, they rejoiced with excitement. But then I, I like this, and I'll say it and be done. They not only rejoiced with excitement, they returned with excitement. Look again at verse 20. The Bible says the shepherds returned. Why did they return? Because they, they just wanted to see Him again. Why did they come back? Because they didn't get enough the first time. They they just they came back. You know that had to be meaningful. Uh, you know that they probably ran out and told all these people what had happened. And what would it have suggested to those people that they had shared this witness with if those people went to the side of the manger and found that the shepherds weren't even interested enough to return themselves? Could it be that's part of the reason that we struggle? Listen, if we're really excited about the Lord and what He's done in our lives and what He can do in the lives of others, you know what it'll produce? It'll produce a faithfulness that keeps bringing us back to Him. Back to Him. They came back to see the Christ again. The excitement drew them back to His presence. And you know, genuine excitement for the Lord will cause us to crave His presence and fellowship. We'll want to be where He is. We'll want to be where He is. Uh, this is a universal truth as it regards relationships. I'm not going to get into telling funny stories or nothing or else I get all the husbands in trouble. But, but, but suffice it to say that genuine love and excitement is manifest in the desire to be in the presence of that other person. And you know, we say we love Him. But if we don't want to be with Him, why would He believe that? Can I go a step further and say we say we love Him? But if we don't want to be with Him, why would anyone else believe that? Real excitement about what God has done in our life. And when I'm talking about excitement, I'm not just talking about the sort of frantic and frenetic, you know, spasming energy that children have at being, I'm talking about true jubilation. Gratitude for what God has done in our lives. Grateful that He loved us, that He saved us, that we're saved and on our way to heaven. We couldn't go to hell if we tried. <laughs> that He has transformed our lives. And made us a child of God. Man, if we can't get excited about that, what could we get excited about? And I'm not talking about some great emotional manifestation. I'm talking about an excitement that brings us time and again back to His throne room, back to His feet, back to fellowship with Him. That's the kind of excitement we need. You know why? The greatest testimony to your family and my family, this whole thing of witnessing to family, and it ain't just for family. If you got somebody that ain't, that ain't family, you need to be doing this witness to them just like, but I just, I know it's Christmas. You know, I, I get it. It's Christmas and, and we're going to do this weird ritualistic thing we do of gathering with people we can't stand and pretending like we love them, right? And so, but no, I know you're going to see people, people that you love, people that love you and you're going to be around them. And, and you know, that's the whole thing of witnessing the family. It is a double-edged sword. People say, preacher, I can't witness to them because they know me. Well, there's some truth to that, and I understand it. I don't want you to think what I'm saying is being said in arrogance or pride. But you know, our attitude should instead be, I can witness to them because they know me. Not that any of us are above reproach, but instead of seeing it as an obstacle, we ought to see it as an opportunity. We ought to view it as an opportunity through faithfulness, consistency, devotion to the Lord in our life to be able to preach a message to them that no one else can preach to. There's no message like a, like a life of of consistency. I'll tell you as a preacher, I could listen, I, I could preach a hundred thousand messages and I could never preach one as effective as a life dedicated to Christ. You'll live that life. It'll do more in their heart and life 
and mine than anything I could say or anything that you could say. And so that, that excitement, that, that joy that brings them back over and over again. What do we need to do this Christmas season to be effective? And I'm not, I'm not promising you your family's going to get saved. They're going to make their choice in life just as you have, just as I have. But I am saying if you want to be as effective as possible, here's what you can do. You can be the voice of experience regarding the truth of God's Word. Study God's Word. Read God's Word. Memorize God's Word. You say, preacher, I can't memorize it. My mind won't let me. Grab you a Sharpie and a, and, a, and, a, and a card and write it down then. But hide it away. Make it a part of your day-to-day uh, diet. Uh, we need to be the voice of, of uh, not only uh, of experience, but again, we need to be the voice of explanation. We need to tell them who He is, why He came, and where He can be found. The voice of examination. We need to be encouraging folks to now take this truth and look at themselves. What does that mean? It is no gospel appeal that does not appeal to men to receive the gospel. To just academically throw it out there. Here's the truth. Here's the gospel. That's not what Christ did. Christ called men to come unto Him, to follow Him, to lay down all, to go with Him. There was always an appeal for men to come along with Him. And then it needs to be the voice of excitement. Uh, and you say, preacher, I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to drum up this excitement. You don't have to drum it up. That's your problem. Don't drum it up. Instead, let it overflow from a life of fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow together tonight as the musician comes to play. The altar is open. And if God has spoken to your heart, you ought to meet Him in this altar. And you might have been praying over the past few days and weeks because you know that there's people you're going to be around that you're going to witness to. It would be a good time tonight to just bow heart and head before the Lord at the altar and say, Lord, help me to be an effective witness over this holiday season. could be there's someone distinctly in your life that you're burdened for. Why don't you once again lift their name to the heavens and ask the Holy Ghost of God to do the work in their heart that we're inadequate to do. Father, bless this invitation. May it glorify your Son. Lord, we love you and we ask it in Jesus' name.